0: To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you, but first we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, Blubber, oddment Tweak. Podcast 9 of 3 quarters, topic of the week is What do Harry's dreams mean? <laughs> Your listeners, I'm Jem. And I'm Rhea, and today we are going to dwell on dreams and forget to live. <laughs> I want to do analysis of Harry's dreams throughout the series. All right. Because obviously we know that he has significant, meaningful dreams. Yeah. But those tend to come from Voldemort and their mystical connection. Mm-hmm. But he also has weird dreams that have nothing to do with Voldemort. And what I want to know is, like, why? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> why do you want to know why? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, he has these visions from Voldemort. I'm not interested in those. I feel like Canon does a good enough job of interpreting those. Like, we understand what it means when he dreams that Sirius is being tortured by Voldemort or whatever. It's just a trap. Yeah. But his regular dreams, some of them are really, really significant and really loaded with meaning. And I'm curious about why that is. Okay. Uh, Is it because his dreams are like, well, you know, Harry's a fictional character and he is in a fictional reality and his dreams are handcrafted for him by an all-knowing creator? (laughs) It's definitely why that's happening. (laughs) But maybe. He's also a little magic boy. (laughs) I mean, that's true. Yeah. So maybe there's like a magical in-universe reason for why his dreams are significant. Maybe he can see the future and it comes to him in his dreams and he's just never noticed because all of his dreams are so fucking weird anyway. I mean, I have made the argument before that time magic is like just a kind of magic that all wizards can tap into and all wizards have a sensitivity to, but some people are just better at it than others. And Mm -hmm. that's what we call seers. But I have made the argument that time magic affects all wizards by coming to them in their su- subconscious mind in their dreams. Mm-hmm. I but... do not remember you making that argument. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I Yeah, I argue basically that all wizards are seers. Not really seers, seers, capital S, but like mm-hmm. all wizards are able to do some kind of divination or prophecy or foresight. Right. Um, to a certain extent. Some people have like 1% skill level. Others might have 100% skill level. Mm -hmm. But I'd say that the majority of the time that kind of magical ability comes through in their subconscious mind when they're dreaming. Right. And and that's why people have hunches and feelings about things because maybe they wake up and they forget their dream, but they still kind of have a vibe about things. and They're like, I can't trust this person or I think that this situation is fucked. Yeah, you know, Mm. things like that. (laughs) That's very valid. So there's not actually like a difference between a seer and a regular wizard. It's just a seer is someone who's more talented at this basic realm of magic that everybody can do, but most people don't Mm. practice. Yeah, and I'd say seers can also have visions not in their subconscious mind. So Mm -hmm. they, like... Because when... Trelawney does have visions. She goes into like a trance, right? And she doesn't yeah. remember anything. So she's not like asleep when that happens. <laughs> she's like awake wandering around. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference between people who have like 100% capacity or sensitivity towards this kind of magic and people who are like, like Harry or Ron who just have hunches and bad feelings and bad vibes yeah. maybe based on their dreams. But it's interesting that you said that Trelawney isn't asleep when that happens. Because obviously mm-hmm. she didn't like lie down and enter REM stage sleep. But, like, going into a trance is, like, putting your mind into an altered state, which is what dreaming yeah. is. That's, so, what I, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. she's... You can't be conscious, but she doesn't need to start unconscious. You know what I mean? hmm I don't think time magic is something that you consciously do. Yeah, that's fair. Cool. Dreams. I so- have written down a list of all of Harry's dreams, so mm-hmm. let's go through them and we'll decide if they're worth talking about or not. Yep. Number one. How he dreamed of a flying motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Discuss. Yes. <laughs> so this is interesting because it's how the first book opens. The first book yep. opens with the chapter starting from mr dursley's perspective and then mr dursley goes to sleep for the night
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then we get the scene with dumbledore mcgonagall hagrid and baby harry mm-hmm. and then it transitions into harry waking up from a dream about a flying motorcycle yeah and it's sort of implied that that last scene that took place after mr dursley went to sleep is what harry dreamed that is fucking wild what? is that not what you got from that Sorry, what, you, what did you just say? I don't understand what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing that Mrs. Dursley... What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the first book opens yeah, with the chapter yeah, of Mrs. Yeah, Dursley's yeah, yeah, perspective. Yeah, I get it, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Then he goes to bed. Then there's the scene with Dumbledore, McGonagall, yeah, Hagrid, yeah, 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 and baby Harry. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Then that chapter ends. Next chapter begins. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, ten yeah, yeah. years later. Yeah, yeah. Harry wakes up. And he wakes up from a dream about a flying motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I always got the impression that his dream was that last scene that we just read. Like, from the perspective of baby Harry, he was dreaming that. And that's what he's woken up from. What? (laughs) No, (laughs) that's not at all what I thought. (laughs) Okay. Also, just quickly, what did you think I was saying? I I thought I had you say Mrs. Dursley. So I thought that you were saying that, like... Harry was dreaming <laughs> what Petunia was hearing in her sleep on that night. And I'm like, what the fuck is <laughs> on?" <laughs> Sorry, I might have said Mrs. Ursley. I get Mr. and Mrs. confused all the time. They're very similar okay. words. All right. No, that's not That's never what i thought at all. <laughs> no. Really? Okay. You just thought he had a regular dream about a flying motorcycle? Yeah, I thought he was dreaming back to when he was a baby on the flying motorcycle. Like... Being in the sky, hearing the noise of the flying motorcycle, all that sort of stuff. That's still the same thing, though. He's still dreaming about, like, real memories that happened to him when he was one years old. Yeah. Yeah, you don't think that's wild? No. uh, I know that we have no brain cells, but some people remember (laughs) being a baby. Like, Actually, they don't. (laughs) Um, mm, I've, no, I've met people that are like, no, I remember like being a baby and having my nappy changed. Those people are liars and weird. You should cut them out of your life. This is Josh. (laughs) Josh is (laughs) me this. He He says he remembers kissing on his dad as a baby. Get fucked, Josh. (laughs) So I looked into this because I'm like, can children remember things when they were one years old? And here's what Google told me. <laughs> okay. Children uh, can remember things from before they were three up until the time mm-hmm. when they're about eight years old. And when they're like seven to eight, they start to lose those very early childhood memories. So by the time Harry's 11 in this book, he should, or 10 actually, he really shouldn't be remembering things from when he was one years old. Hmm. And then I looked into this a little bit deeper because we know that Harry had some trauma associated with that and trauma changes how memory works. Yeah. So I didn't read too deeply into how trauma affects children because that made me very sad and I didn't want to read any more about it. But basically what I found out was that you can't hold the specific memory in your mind if it happened from when you were like one years old, but you can still experience the trauma associated with it, which is a great and cheerful thing to learn on the podcast. Yeah, so that will become okay. relevant later. He doesn't have a lot of trauma associated with the flying motorcycle, but we'll get into his trauma. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look. I guess this dream is just I uh, I I don't know. I, I I yeah. I'd say it's just an author thing. Like, oh, Harry's dreaming of flying motorcycle to remind you that like this happened. I guess <laughs> he was yeah. left in a doorstep. <laughs> So you don't forget the things that happened last chapter. (laughs) Previously on Harry Potter, yeah. (laughs) Dream number two. Harry dreams of an unknown relative coming to take him away from the Dursleys. Yeah, this is a dream that he has basically just throughout his childhood when he's really young. I think that's just very sad, but a normal dream. (laughs) What's your reoccurring dreams? Do you have any? Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Tell us. (laughs) My, like... I was about to say my go to reoccurring dream. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's not <get> true. <laughs> yeah. Top ten. <laughs> I have I have two um really common reoccurring dreams. One is The Alien, the Xenomorph from The Alien films. (laughs) That's so funny. It affected you so much. It did. I watched those films with Dad when I was too young and they scared the absolute shit out of me. And I still have nightmares about The Alien to this day. I'm 27 years old. (laughs) I watched those movies as well with you and Dad. I was younger than you. Nothing. I know. No reaction. (laughs) Yeah. I know. (laughs) The alien remains one of my greatest fears to this day. (laughs) I have the alien dream between every six months and a year, usually. It's so good. So it's not like I'm dreaming about it every night, but yeah. I had one like a few months ago and then had to turn on all the lights now. (laughs) Couldn't get back to sleep. My other reoccurring dream is my stress dream. So I get this one way more often. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, whenever I'm very, very stressed or dealing with something that's overwhelming and I can't deal with it, I have a packing dream. Oh, yes. (laughs) Classic. Where, like, the circumstances are always different. Sometimes the Earth's dying and we all have to go to Mars. (laughs) Sometimes I'm moving house. Sometimes I'm going on holiday. But for some reason, I have to pack every single thing (laughs) that I own. And my brain will literally take me through my living space, room by room, shelf by shelf, cupboard by cupboard, and I will pack every single thing that I own away into boxes. Oh God. And it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> that's, a, that's funny as. Yes. It's a good stress dream, though. I've heard of other people's stress dreams where it's the dirty toilet dream. Mm. where it's like you need to pee and but you try and find a toilet and all of them are disgusting like all of them are dirty yeah all of them are overflowing there's rats like i've never had this one before but i'm like i feel like i'm missing out you know (laughs) like there's other people yeah i i don't think i've had that specifically but like definitely the vibe of that i've had in a dream Mm. like there's dreams where you're searching for something specific and you keep finding something similar but not what you're looking for and it's distressing yeah, my my um, recurring dream, this is a fun one, is that I am the same age, the same experience I am now, but for some reason I have to go back to high school and do just yep. math class. Just math. Class. And it's like, and I keep being like, I shouldn't be here, like, I'm 23, I, I've graduated <laughs> uni twice, I, I don't need to be here I have a job I've got to go to. like I have commitments, <laughs> and they're like, no, you have to pass this math degree because you actually like you missed out on doing math and your everything that you've done isn't valid now because you actually didn't pass math. And I'm like, yeah. ah! <laughs> it's the most stressful thing. That is like uh, high school is so traumatizing. <laughs> I see it. I see those fucking blue cages. I see that awful swamp bridge. I see it so clearly. Yeah, (laughs) I've absolutely had that dream. Yeah. I, like, specifically the detail of, I shouldn't be here, I'm an adult, I have a job. Yes. Like... Like the, the knowledge that I do have a real job and I need to go there and do that work because I'm an adult with responsibilities, yeah. but I'm trapped in this fucking classroom and I cannot get out of here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. Anyway, we're so off topic. Um... I know this, this is just going to be an episode of we remember our dreams. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. All right. Number three, um, the classic turban dream. So Harry is yes. wearing uh, the Quirrell's turban. It speaks to him and tells him to transfer to Slytherin. The turban Mm -hmm. gets very heavy and tight, and tightens around his head. Malfoy starts laughing at him, and then Malfoy turns into Snape. The laugh becomes high and cold, there's a flash of green light, and Harry wakes up. Okay, (laughs) so this is the first dream that made me think, like, Harry sees the future, or knows the future, because Mm -hmm. there's details in this that he shouldn't be able to connect. Yeah. Like, yeah wearing Quirrell's turban that's very obviously like the connection to Voldemort that he has in his brain yes which he should have absolutely no knowledge of at that stage yep and connecting Quirrell to the flash of green light and the high-pitched cold laughter those two things are constantly what he thinks about when he th- when he thinks about his parents dying flash of green light and mm-hmm. high-pitched cold laughter so he's instantly like yeah Quirrell's Voldemort in his own mind <laughs> yeah yeah he dreams often of the high pitched, cold laughter and the green light which is very clearly obviously that's Voldemort his parents mm. death that's why I was like trauma memories are they specific for children he shouldn't be able to remember those details yeah. but he does and I've got no real beef with it like some of that I would just be like he's a fictional character it could be that it's Voldemort's it's memories too that it's what that it's Voldemort's memories Voldemort yeah the that's flash of true. Green light in his own death rebounding back onto him and also his high pitched cold laughter when he was killing James and Lily. Or well, James. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Like, I didn't really think about how Voldemort's memories and thoughts might be influencing Harry's dreams. Not at this young age. Obviously it occurs later. Mm. I also think it's interesting that Malfoy turns into Snape. Obviously because we both we know that like these are both enemies of Harry. Mm-hmm. But Snape is a double agent and Malfoy turns out to be kind of a double agent in book six when he like is secretly a death eater at Hogwarts and lets the death eaters in and all that sort of stuff and betrays Mm -hmm. everyone. It's interesting. I think it's interesting that Snape is in the dream at all. Yeah. Because like Malfoy has established himself as an antagonist. Yeah. Harry's had two confrontations with him at this point and like has got a pretty good measure of his character and, like, they're not, you know, sworn nemeses or anything, but, like, if Harry was reaching for somebody in his brain to be the bully in his dream, like, Malfoy's the only candidate. He doesn't know anybody else. Malfoy or Dudley, yeah. That's or Dudley. True. Yeah, it's actually interesting that Malfoy replaces Dudley, but I guess Dudley's not at this new school. Mm. But then he turns into Snape. Harry has never spoken a single word to Snape or been in Snape's presence other than seeing him at the feast and Snape scowling at him. Yeah, that's true. That is interesting. Yeah, like doesn't pass the vibe check. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that he's having this dream, which is tying together his three like greatest enemies to this point. But Snape, he doesn't even know. Yeah, he's he's living. He's doing like 4D chess already, (laughs) Mm. and especially because it's like transfer into Slytherin. It's like Malfoy head of Slytherin, Voldemort. Like he's got a lot of anxieties over this yeah yeah that makes sense Mm. new school his fourth dream is basically just as it says in the bottle parents disappearing at a flash of green light while a Mm -hmm. high cold voice laughs this is one that he has all the time this is one that like specifically comes to him after he's been staring at his parents in the mirror of Erised Mm -hmm. so like he can see how that's obviously triggering and like stirring up old memories yeah Mm. the fifth dream this is in the start of the second book. Once he, the Ministry gets mad at them for perform, performing underage magic, but really it was Dobby. Mm-hmm. So he's on display in a zoo. He sleeps on a bed of straw. <laughs> <laughs> There's this sign over his enclosure that says "Underage Wizard." He's in a cage. Dobby's outside the cage, and he refuses to help him because Harry Potter is safe and the Dursleys are rattling the bars of the cage and yelling at him, and then Harry wakes up to the bars outside of his window rattling, because Ron's trying to... Does that ever happen to you, where, like, details of the dream, like, start blurring into reality, and then you wake up oh, and yes. the real thing's happening? This happened to me, actually... This is weird. Okay, this is a weird thing. This happened to me, actually, a while a while ago. Not a while ago, like, a few days ago. <laughs> Sorry. Um... That was, there was so much mystery building there. This happened to me a while ago. <laughs> few days ago i had left like one of my work dresses out on this clothes horse that i have in this balcony that's attached to my room and it's like a dark cold night and i'd left it out mm-hmm. there and i hadn't even thought about it and i was in bed and i woke up and i woke up and my dreaming mind still conjured this image of myself talking to me she was like yelling at me and she was mm-hmm. like the wind the wind and i'm like <laughs> "What?" <laughs> and I woke up and I and I was like, oh, weird, whatever. And um, then I registered that it was really, really windy outside. And I'm like, oh, oh, right, my dress. And I like jumped out of bed, put on some clothes, like opened the door <laughs> and got my dress. And it was like hanging by like, you know, those <laughs> things that are like inside the dress that you like used to put on the coat hanger, those little ribbons. It was hanging by like one of those. Oh, yeah, yeah. like yeah, The little ribbons. Of the clothes horse nearly about to be blown away. And I'm like, cracked it. <laughs> that's wild, because that's your like unconscious brain like registering that something you're about to lose something important to you because of the wind, and being like, gotta wake this bitch up so I she know. can get her dress. <laughs> Maybe it was future me who lost her dress. It was like <laughs> coming through, like, bitch. That was expensive. Get up. <laughs> the wind. The wind. Yeah. I love it when your brain does stuff like that, when your brain talks to you directly. What do we think of Underage Wizard Zoo? So, (laughs) the zoo dream. (laughs) It's great. Well, obviously, like, he feels exposed. Like, the whole, the sign saying that he's an Underage Wizard, the fact that Dobby got him in trouble for doing this magic that he didn't really do. Like, he's feeling seen and vulnerable in a way that he is very uncomfortable with. Then there's the very clear... I was about to say metaphor, but it's not a metaphor. Like, he's trapped. (laughs) He's just trapped at the Dursleys and he's trapped in this cage. But the connection between Dobby being like, Harry Potter is safe in this cage, and Dumbledore being like, you have to go back to this terrible environment because it's the only place you're safe. That's interesting and sad. Yeah. I just, I love the detail that he registered he was sleeping on a bed of straw. Like, he really painted the picture for himself. (laughs) (laughs) Like... When I'm picturing this zoo, I'm not picturing, like, a good zoo that has, like, enriching environments and, like, natural habitats. I'm picturing, like, a cage, a concrete cage with metal bars and a bed of straw. Yeah, a little bed of straw and some, like, scraps of straw scattered around the cage and, like, a dog bowl is what I'm picturing. (laughs) Like, dog (laughs) bowl. It's amazing. Uh, Number six. So, Harry's carrying his fire bolts in the woods and he's following mm-hmm. a silvery light and hears hooves. At this point, it's in the third book and he hadn't yet realised what his corporeal Patronus was going to look like. Mm-hmm. But this is his dream that he has. Yeah. So this is after that Quidditch match where Malfoy and the other Slytherins like, dressed up as Dementors and Harry cast yeah. a Patronus at them. Mm-hmm. So he knows what a Patronus is, but he's never conjured a corporeal one before. Yeah. So... I find it really interesting like he's walking through the forest carrying his firebolt and obviously the firebolt is the connection to the Quidditch match Mm -hmm. but Quidditch and flying is also a big connection between Harry and his father Mm. and he's like following this this Patronus that he can't see but he hears the hooves of it so it's like he's walking in his father's footsteps which we know is like a big theme for Harry in this book yeah that's true hmm Yeah, good point I I think it's also interesting that like this is the first of many fireball dreams and I think Mm. it's interesting to think about what the fireball means in each one so you're saying this one's like a connection to his dad yeah it's a connection to Quidditch and to his dad because Quidditch and Harry's natural flying ability is something that he got directly from his father and it's a big connection between Harry and James yeah yeah Yeah. It's also significant that he's in the woods because he does end up in the woods later trying to cast a Patronus to save his own life. Yeah, that's true like as he well. He could have been anywhere. And like, he could have been on the Quidditch pitch. Yeah, he could have been on the Quidditch pitch. could have been going through the castle. It's mm. also interesting because, like, so we know that James went out and explored, like, Hogwarts and the grounds and stuff in his Animagus form mm. as part of being a marauder. So, like, those details are sort of present in the dream as well. Like, Harry's exploring this dark, dangerous place. Yeah, I also think about book seven, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, Harry's in the woods, he Mm -hmm. sees a silvery light, it turns out to be a doe, and he follows the doe into the woods. It's, like, similar energy. I know it's not exactly the same, but it's like, hmm. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were... gonna say like when he's walking to his death at the end of book 7 oh no there's no dough in that situation is there there's no doe but his father's there his father's because there. he yeah. summons his parents and Sirius and Lupin I think he can't get past the Dementors to walk through the forest to Voldemort so he calls up his parents using the magic ring and they like shelter him from the Dementors hmm yeah I mean true Lots mm. to unpack with that dream <laughs> yeah that's an interesting one The next one is also a Quidditch one. It's for our match anxiety, pre-match anxiety. Mm -hmm. So dream number seven, Harry oversleeps and the team had to use Neville as a seeker and lost. (laughs) And then doesn't he then have like that same night? He -hmm. then dreams that the Slytherin team are all riding dragons and he doesn't have a broom. Yes, that's dream number eight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but I think they're like, they're like one after the other. Mm Mm-hmm yeah so there's also a lot to unpack here even though they're just very small simple like quidditch anxiety dreams mm. so like the last dream with the firebolt and the hearing the hooves sound which like says to me that he's dreaming of what his patronus is going to be like that seemed like very much harry using this um using this unconscious time magic and like actually seeing the future This one, I think these are just regular stress dreams, but there's still a lot of connections that are really interesting. Yeah, the fact that Neville replaces him in the Quidditch match, when we know, of course, later, given the prophecy and everything that happened, Neville could have turned out to be the chosen one. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and like the idea that Neville, they had to use Neville instead and they lost the match. Like, Mm -hmm. if Harry had maybe died and then Neville had stepped up to be the chosen one because he was the only available option, but they ended up losing the war anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what that's saying too, which is crazy because we haven't yet discussed would Neville have been a suitable like substitute, but Mm -hmm. that's a big hint that I guess JK is saying no. (laughs) He wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah, I'm really keen to have that discussion. I think that's going to be a really interesting episode. Mm. It's also Slytherin team riding on dragons. Look, (laughs) (laughs) I don't really see much about this. I mean, I guess it's sort of, you could be like, oh, there's dragons in the next book, obviously with the Triwizard Tournament. Mm -hmm. Harry does end up riding a dragon in the future, but yeah, I can't really see much beyond just general anxiety. Well, I thought the idea, like, actually, I I got a little bit confused here because the Slytherin team riding dragons, I thought uh, it was actually book three, where the Slytherin team get all of the brand new brooms and are mm-hmm. better than the Gryffindor team. But then I remembered that's actually book two. Mm-hmm. So that could still be an anxiety, but you know, but I thought it was like the Slytherin team riding dragons and Harry doesn't have his broom. Well, that's how the second, the first try with a tournament task starts out with a dragon and Harry having no broom. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> He's very concerned about his broom. It's his, it's his best possession. Yeah. It's interesting that the broom shows up so often in his dreams and something like the Invisibility Cloak doesn't, which is also... Not even once. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Look, he's a jock. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Number nine. He's trying to get his firebolt back from a window mermaid while drowning. She's taunting him. So this is in book four. (laughs) This is before the second task, obviously, and he's sort of dreaming about what the egg clue could mean. And he has this dream about the window mermaid from the prefect's bathroom, Mm -hmm. holding the fireball over his head, being like, oh, come and get it. Can't you get it? And he's like drowning and blubbering in the water um, and not able to reach it. Is this like literally the night before the second task where he goes to the (laughs) library and falls asleep researching because he has no idea how to survive underwater? I feel like it's probably, yeah, that exact dream. And then he wakes up to Dobby being like, eat this fucking salami you know this yeah this one feels pretty clear like he's worried about the task this is the task he knows that he's gonna have to go into the lake he knows that there are mermaids merpeople in the lake and he knows they're gonna take away his most prized possession and jock harry is like my (laughs) broom (laughs) My broom, (laughs) and also it's because the broom helped him win the first task. So it's also kind of a sense of inadequacy, I think, where it's like he knows he's going to have to go underwater this time. His broom, not even can. His only strength is his flying, can't Mm -hmm. help him even a little bit. Yeah. So he's he knows how fucked he is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like he got through on his flying skill last time, but this time, like he can't even take his broom with him. (laughs) Yeah, because the mermaid has it. Also, how it's wild also, if the second task, like, they just took stuff from the contestants <laughs> and they're like, the mermaid's got your broom or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would they take from you? What's your most prized possession? I immediately was going to say apple bobbing, but she's not a possession, she's a friend. <laughs> My most prized possession. God, I don't know. Like, I like my books and my clothes and my pins and stuff, but they're all just sort of objects that I can replace. Okay. I don't really have anything that's irreplaceable to me. Wow. Other than, like, my friends and family. No worldly attachments. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I'm so evolved. (laughs) No, it's more just like, I've had this conversation before. Which is like, oh, so you wake up in the middle of the night, your house is on fire. Mm. What's the one thing you grab on the way out the door? And I'm like, nothing. Are you sure? Don't (laughs) you have to pack everything that I own? You have to pack your entire house. (laughs) 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 Like, I would grab my phone for like practical reasons because it's right next to my bed and it's just as fast as getting up without my phone. (laughs) Yeah. But like, in terms of items that I owned that I would risk my own life for, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Nothing at all. There's nothing that I own that's that valuable to me other than my cat. And again, I don't own her, we just live together. <laughs> me standing naked about outside you? my house while it burns down holding nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even grab a robe. <laughs> yeah. Phone in one hand, cat in her carrier case in the other. I'm fine. This is all I need to survive in the world. <laughs> um I don't know as well. I, I mean, there's this cool rock that I'm holding right now, but <laughs> mm. yeah, like you, everything's replaceable. Yeah. I've got cool rocks. I've got a chrome gnome. I've got books that I love that are hard to find, but nothing that I can't replace. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about like, like we've, I've brought up the burning house scenario, but like the, you have to go swim in a lake to get this thing back from some hostile mermaid scenario. Okay. Is there anything that they could take from me that I would be like? This is worth going into a freezing cold lake for an hour to get back. Mm. I don't think so. It, yeah, I was gonna say like it would it would depend if Josh had died <laughs> because yeah. if Josh was dead, then like, maybe like a letter that he wrote me, I would go get it. Mm. But otherwise, you know, he's alive. He can write me a new one. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I have, like, a photo of our dead grandparents, but, again, bottom of the lake for an hour? It's really cold. Where's the cloud, man? I've got other photos. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> wow. I do not have good connections to the things that I own. <laughs> it's wild. wild. Um, anyway, <laughs> so, yeah. dream number uh, 10. So, this is a... a, a Pretty big one. Okay, so Harry is flying on the back of a huge eagle owl. He flies right. towards an old ivy covered stone house, very Taylor Swift. He comes to mm-hmm. a room. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that without processing what you said. <laughs> flies into the house, they go down a hallway, he comes to this room, he gets off the owl, the owl basically disappears, flies off. And in the room is a chair with its back facing him, a big snake. On the ground and Wormtail on, on the floor as well. The person in the chair to- is torturing Wormtail with the Cruciatus curse. And after doing the torturing, so he says that his blunder hasn't yet ruined everything after all. Then Harry wakes up screaming, This scar hurting. This is a divination class dream. So I immediately discounted this dream because I'm like, This isn't a dream. This is a mm. vision from Voldemort. But Baltimore. it starts as a dream, I think. I don't think it does. I think it does. And I think because, like, Harry falls asleep, he's drowsy, he's in a boring class, he falls asleep, he's having this Mm -hmm. dream about the eagle owl, which is argued as having attachment to the Malfoys, obviously, because Draco Malfoy has an eagle Mm -hmm. owl. He's just flying on an eagle owl, and then suddenly the dream does change to a vision. He's seeing um, the Brutal House, he's going into the Brutal House, there's Voldemort, there's Wormtail, and I think, yeah, it is a vision. But he had to be unconscious for it to come to him, as I've argued with time magic before. So, how I interpreted this was that Voldemort was actually possessing that owl. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> because we know that well, we know that Voldemort can possess animals and shit. He does it to the guinea and rats and whatever. Yep. And I assumed that he was anxious over the fact that things had maybe gone terribly wrong because of Wormtail's blunder, which was, I think, letting go of Mr. Crouch? Yes. Barty Crouch, senior. Yeah. So he was, like, anxiously awaiting news of how this had gone down, and he had sent his mind out looking for the owl and waiting for it to arrive. So the Harry flying on an owl, going through the window, flying through the passages of the house, like, Voldemort was literally doing that. And Harry was just joining him on his cool dream journey. So the owl brought him a letter, you're saying? Yeah. I think that's... Oh. Isn't that canon? Like, the owl is bringing a letter from Barty Crouch Jr. saying, I killed my dad in time. We haven't been exposed. Everything's fine. That's why Voldemort's like, Wormtail, you didn't ruin everything after all. I've never heard this before. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Because otherwise, why is the owl there? Be- I and mean, why is it an owl? Because owls deliver mail. Like, it's not just some other bird. Yeah. Oh, wow. Good. Yeah. Okay. Wild. Uh, I never, I've never made that connection before. Because I, I guess we never see the owl, like, give Voldemort a letter, like, or drop a letter on the floor or anything mm-hmm. like that. It just flies out. Yeah. I think Harry just didn't notice that detail. He was distracted by the torture that was happening. I mean, fair. Yeah. yeah. He was 14. <laughs> wow okay yeah okay that's just straight up a mm-hmm. vision then and like it's the fact that harry wakes from this vision and he he wakes from sleeping sorry and immediately he's like that wasn't a regular dream that was a vision i have to go tell dumbledore mm-hmm. and he like leaves class and goes to dumbledore's office and tells him about it yeah that's true harry wakes up and it's like i've had a premonition and then yeah after that when he's <laughs> had this discussion with dumbledore he never questions that again really <laughs> he's like oh yeah that's just a thing that happened and he doesn't really question like am i a seer? what's going on until Mm. the fifth book when it's revealed Voldemort's in his brain but like he just fucking doesn't care about it anymore (laughs) well this isn't the first time that it's happened to him because like we're actually skipping proper visions in this list like we're only doing dreams but this happens to him at the beginning of the fourth book he dreams about the riddle house and frank dying there Mm. so like he knows that he does have visions of Voldemort at this point. He just doesn't know why it's happening. Yeah. Or anything. And he just trusts Dumbledore to help him with this. Oh, that poor boy. <laughs> Number 11. Over the summer holidays, Harry has dreams where he remembers what happened in the graveyard and Cedric's death. Mm-hmm. So that's just, you know, memories, trauma. Yeah. That's just standard trauma. Yep. Number 12, he has dreams about long dark corridors ending in locked doors he can never open. Obviously, yeah. this is, like, a, again, another vision of Voldemort mm-hmm. trying to get into the Department of Mysteries and becoming obsessed with that, but can't yeah. do it. So this is where we see the beginning of Voldemort's thoughts starting to leak into Harry's dreams, mm-hmm. where Harry isn't aware of it. Like, as we just said, he's had some visions in Goblet of Fire, but now Voldemort's back. And he's in Harry's brain in a way that he never has been before. Mm. So it's interesting that Harry starts dreaming about these long, dark corridors and locked doors, like, well, well before he's consciously aware of it. Here's what I'm wondering. Is Voldemort also asleep and having these constant reoccurring (sighs) dreams about getting into the Ministry of Magic and that's bleeding into Harry's mind? Or is he obsessively thinking about this one thing to the point at which that it blocks out all else and leaks into Harry's mind in his dreams when his defenses are down? There's also sneaky option three where he's sending in mm. Nagini to try and like figure out which hallway to use, which door to look into. And he's looking through Nagini's eyes and controlling her and trying to get to the door, but he can never quite get there because he has to hide because someone's coming or something. That's definitely the case later, but I didn't mm-hmm. think that he was sending Nagini in in the beginning. I mean, he'd want to test it, right? But they try other methods first. They use that guy, yeah. Sturgis Podmore, or whatever his name is. Yeah, and then kill him with a plant. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Voldemort's first step is to risk Nagini by sending her into the Ministry of Magic. True, true. Because he's trying Sturgis. to lay low. Maybe, yeah, maybe we're seeing Voldemort looking through Sturgis' eyes. Maybe. Inception. I think Voldemort definitely sends his brain out and possesses people more often than we are led to believe in the story. (laughs) So that's a possibility. I tend to lean towards Voldemort doesn't sleep. Oh, so I tend to, I know spicy take, but I tend to lean towards, he's either obsessively, obsessively thinking about this and like, it's all he can focus on because he just wants to get his hands on this prophecy. Or it's, he's possessing Sturgis Podmore or some other kind of person in the ministry to try and get them to the door, but they're either fighting it off or they get distracted or like they have to get out of there because there's people mm-hmm. around, something like just that. Just failing. Yeah. It's funny that like he does try and fail to get through a door for an entire year. <laughs> it's very funny. He's a wizard. He's like an all-powerful dark <laughs> wizard that we should all be terrified of, and he just cannot get through this fucking door. <laughs> Three 17 year olds manage to break into a ministry when it's like being run by mm. Voldemort. <laughs> so the security is much more strict. They're yeah. like, man, Voldemort, no one knows your back. Fucking steal someone's hair. <laughs> just walk in. Just do it. Potion, potion that shit. Yeah. yeah. He's like, it's too dangerous for anyway. me to go to the ministry. Instead, I should do this incredibly convoluted plan to lure Harry into the ministry. Coward. Yeah, he's, Why do you think Voldemort um, doesn't sleep? <laughs> we skipped over that. I, honestly, it was just an assumption because I, you know, he. His pursuit for immortality has made him less human, and so I figured he doesn't do a lot of human things, like sleeping or eating, or like he does it less, I guess. I kind of get that, I guess. Like, he is definitely less human, more monstrous, so the idea that he doesn't need to sleep or eat or anything anymore yeah. is interesting. We I don't ever, know if I buy it, though. We never see him, like plotting anything over a glass of wine or eating anything or whenever he's doing his plots and plans it's always dark and fucking middle of the fucking night and shit like that so yeah and he's always just around ominously dracula like it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't eat or drink anything Mm. (laughs) he doesn't go out in sunlight (laughs) how old is he (laughs) You know Twilight too well. <laughs> <laughs> so, hmm. dream number 13. Harry, he is... So this is inside the Grimald Place. He's just arrived at Grimald Place and he's dreaming that he's at Grimald Place in his bedroom, in his bed. So it's one of those dreams where you're like in... Mm-hmm. You know, the starting position. You're in your bed. The starting (laughs) position. (laughs) Where it starts like you are trying to get to sleep and then the dream slowly becomes your reality. Yeah, A classic. Harry hears cantering outside the doors. Um, Hagrid says, beauties, aren't they? We'll be studying weapons this term. And then the creatures turn (laughs) to face Harry and they have heads that are shaped like cannons. Harry ducks. And then that's the dream. Mm -hmm very clearly just harry's mind processing the conversation that he just had yeah which was about how voldemort's searching for something like a weapon yeah and he's like what could that be the dangerous thing i can think of is the shit that hagrid makes us do in <laughs> care of magical creatures <laughs> yeah he's literally thinking it's some kind of creature because probably because he's associating it with the trials of tasks and stuff like that as well or like a dragon or a big snake or like Yeah. Harry doesn't really have a good grasp of what a magical weapon might be, because he doesn't know anything about magic. (laughs) No. I just love the image of, like, a horse with just a cannon for a head. (laughs) Horses are terrifying enough. (laughs) When, so, when you hear the phrase, many-legged creatures, you go to horse? (laughs) Well, it it says cantering. At first when I hear many-legged creature, I think, like, some kind of spider or something like that, Mm. some creepy crawly. And then cantering, obviously, a horse. Yeah, I was definitely thinking some kind of, like, giant centipede or something. Like the metamorphosis. Although cantering. mm. Yeah. Like the what? Like the metamorphosis thing. Just in the real place. Mm, Yeah. Next dream, number 14. Um, Harry's parents sort of duck in and out of his dreams and say nothing to him. Um, Mrs. Weasley is crying over a creature's dead body, watched by Ron and Hermione, who are wearing crowns. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So this is obviously after... Ron and Hermione have been revealed to be prefects, and they had that little party, and Mad-Eye mm-hmm. Moody showed Harry the picture of his parents and all these people who were going to die, like, a couple of days later. <laughs> it would just take moments yeah. before disaster. <laughs> Thanks, <Excellent>. Moody. <laughs> so to me, the whole parents talking out of the dreams speechless is because he's thinking of them as he saw them in the picture. They can't speak to him, but they just stare and blink and, mm-hmm. like... Yeah. Yeah, sad. I think that's definitely, like, a manifestation of the fact that he very much is following in his parents' footsteps now. Yeah. Like, his parents fought in a war. They were in the Order of the Phoenix. Harry's not technically in the Order of the Phoenix, but, like, he may as well be. Yeah. And I think, like, he would really love to talk to them about their experiences and, like, what he should be doing. Because he's feeling so lost right now. And the mm-hmm. fact that he can't is, like, really sad. mm Can't get any guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, Mrs. Weasley crying over Creature's dead body is, of course, with the uh, Bogart, and mm. um, the fact that it's Creature is interesting because mm. I think there's I've seen before that, like, oh, that, that could be an allusion to the fact that Sirius is going to die because Creature's a direct, like, result of Sirius's death because of everything that went on there. Mm. But, like, uh, why wouldn't it be sobbing over Sirius's dead body? I know. like, Is that too much of foreshadow? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is a bit too direct, but, like, Harry doesn't really have an emotional connection to Creature, does he? Like, he kind of hates him. No. As much as... No, he doesn't really hate him, but he doesn't like him. Of course, we know that uh, Dobby does die later, so this could be, like, a a premonition again. How self will die Mm. one day, and he'll be sad about it. (laughs) Yeah, it's just interesting that, like... He saw Mrs. Weasley sobbing over so many dead bodies, including his own, mm-hmm. like, during that awful Bogart scene. By the way, we should talk about that scene. It's fucked. Absolutely fucked. <laughs> and then in the dream, it's, like, the body of kind of the one person in the house who didn't show up in that terrible montage of death. Mm-hmm. It's, like, just surprises me. It's not, like, Ginny or something. Yeah. Yeah, it is weird. Mm. There's also, obviously ron and hermione wearing crowns because they're prefects now and harry's a bit insecure about that yeah (laughs) Um. love ron and hermione wearing crowns i did look up like some dream symbolism that i thought was funny where's Mm. my symbolism for crowns the crown is the ultimate symbol of success (laughs) (laughs) to dream of a crown is to acknowledge your own success and recognize your ability to forge ahead in life Whatever. Dream symbolism's bullshit. I just like the idea that, like, the ultimate symbol of success is the fact that they are prefects and he is not. I know. It is very funny. I just love, too, how symbolic his dreams are. Like, they're wearing crowns. It's not like... My dreams are so literal. (laughs) Like, I feel like if I was having that dream, it would be like, oh, um... Like, I, I walk up to Ron and Hermione who are like sitting there having lunch and I try and sit next to them and they're like, Oh no, you can't sit here. This is the prefect's table. And they give (laughs) me this awful searing look and everyone turns to look at me and I just feel so seen and so exposed. And I look down, I'm not wearing any clothes. Like (laughs) that's the dream. (laughs) The the mortifying ordeal of not being a (laughs) prefect. Yeah. (laughs) But he's got them like wearing crowns, staring stoically at a dead body on the floor in a dim lit room. Like I can see it so clearly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i also obsessed with the image of like ron and hermione as these regal unattainable figures <laughs> so good uh harry's dreams are fun <laughs> yeah also funny like weasley is our king yeah <laughs> mm, yeah and that's interesting because hermione does also eventually become a weasley <laughs> weasley's yeah. our, our king <laughs> number 15 so is harry the is best in the best dream room? Huh? Is this the best dream in the entire series? Yep. <laughs> Harry's in the room of requirement with yes. Cho, um, who accuses him of luring her there on false preset under false pretenses because he'd promised her one hundred and fifty Chalky Frog cards if she showed up. <laughs> Apparently, Cedric gave Cho loads of Chalky Frog cards, and Cho proves this by reaching into her pockets and throwing them all around her and onto the floor. <laughs> Cho then turns into Hermione who says you did promise her Harry and says that he should probably give Cho his firebolt to show that you know Mm -hmm. to show that he didn't lure her here on false pretenses he then protests and says well I can't give her my firebolt because Umbridge has it and also this whole thing's ridiculous because I just came here to decorate the room with Christmas balls shaped like Dobby's head and then this dream morphs into the snake attack dream snake attack vision um mm-hmm. but wow. <laughs> There's so much going on here. <laughs> There's so much. Uh, should we start at the beginning? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the room for a client with Cho. So this is right after Cho has kissed him, mm-hmm. because it's the last Dumbledore's army meeting of the year before they break for the Christmas holidays. Mm-hmm. And accusing him of luring her there under false pretenses, my brain immediately goes, That's big gay energy. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because, like, the woman being like, you've like you've lured me here under false pretenses, actually you're not into me at all. Like, that's a an- gay anxiety dream for me, even though I know that that's not the case. Oh, to me, I hear that as a crime's about to happen. <laughs> like, Harry's going to murder Cho or something. <laughs> no, it was like, I think what it actually was was that Harry is anxious mm. that Cho f- thinks that Harry doesn't like her as much as Cedric did, because yeah. Harry is fumbling this relationship with her, where like he does care about her, but he doesn't know how to express it properly, and she keeps comparing him to Cedric, yes, who pro- who seemingly treated her better and did know how to express his feelings and gave her a hundred and fifty chocolate frog cards. Yeah, obviously that's what it's about—just the luring under false pretenses. To me, that's like criminal activity when I hear that <laughs> phrase. Yeah. <laughs> That makes sense. It's also notable, that it's one hundred and fifty Chucky Frog cards, hundred and fifty points to win a Quidditch match if you catch the golden snitch. Mm. And Harry, Cho and Cedric are all seekers. Yes, that Quidditch connection. Harry's always thinking about Quidditch. And then of mm, course always. the firebolt. <laughs> His greatest possession. <laughs> His greatest possession. <laughs> And, like, Hermione being like, you did promise her you know Harry. Where, like, Hermione has been so far the Cho interpreter Mm -hmm. telling Harry how to seduce her properly. So (laughs) uncomfy. Yeah. (laughs) They're all just trying their best. They're, what is it, 15 at this point? It's very interesting... That Harry has dreams where people turn into other people. Mm. Have you ever had dreams like that? I never have dreams like that. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a dream where I was killing a big snake and then it turned into you. (laughs) Yeah, that was one of my worst dreams ever. I woke up crying (laughs) because I'd killed you. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. No, no one ever ever fucking pulls off a mask (laughs) or anything in my dream. Everyone is who they are. (laughs) No, absolutely. This happens to me constantly. It's like I'm with someone, and then they don't like pull off a mask and reveal their true face. But it's more like the dream shifts slightly, and then they're a completely different person. But they're also the person they were beforehand. Like it's still the same person, but Did I they're have to different tell you now. About my friend, <laughs> guest of the show, Sarah. She once had a uh, mm-hmm. like a sleep paralysis vision. Or- whatever you want to call it oh I had one of those the other night it was awful but yeah sorry please tell me Sarah's vision sure. it was funny it was when Sarah and I were living together and we'd moved into the new house and it was morning so she actually was like lying there in the light of day and then she hears a knock on the door and mm-hmm. it's like and then the, there's a voice being like oh Sarah it's me and it's my voice and she's like mm-hmm. oh and then she realizes that she can't move mm. <laughs> and the knocking it's keeps classic. keeps going Sarah, it's me, it's Jem, let me in, let me in. And the knocking keeps getting louder and louder. It's like, it's me, come on, open the door. And then the voice gets real guttural. It's like, it's me, it's Jem, let me in, let me in. And it's just pounding, pounding on the door. Yeah. (laughs) That is wild, because that's so fucking similar to the sleep paralysis dream I just had. Oh my god. What happened? Like, last weekend. (laughs) So, our parents came to stay with me. Mm -hmm. And they weren't staying in my apartment at the time. This was a time they were staying somewhere else with other relatives, but they were still visiting me. And so I dreamed that I had woken up to the sound of them coming into my apartment using keys they didn't have or shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. And then they were like by the door to my apartment and I had woken up but hadn't moved out of bed. And they were talking about um, like the fact that they'd come here to hurt me. Oh God, they were, like, yeah. here to kidnap me or something. And they were going, like, do we have everything that we need for the kidnapping? We've got the restraints. We've oh got, like, God. the sedation. And I'm, like, oh, my God. It was, like, so terrified. <laughs> and, <Wow>. then, <laughs> and then I realized that I can't move at all and I can't call out for help at all. And the I'm just stuck there listening to them. And the more that they talk, the more their voices change and become demonic and guttural. Yeah. And it's not my parents at all. It's something disguised as my parents. And also, there was a shadow man watching me in the corner, like with also paralysis dreams. Yeah. Truly really wild. Truly wild yeah. time. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I told my parents about that dream, and they didn't like it. They're like, "We don't want to kidnap you." I'm like, "I know. <laughs> I know. This is a funny story. This is funny." <laughs> It's a dream. (laughs) (laughs) Dream, 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 dream. But wild that we had the same, like, it's a person that you know who's come here to hurt you because it's actually not a person you know. It's something else in disguise. Yeah. Wild. I I wonder if that's a common theme of sleep paralysis. It was interesting, too, because it was just when she'd she'd moved in with me to a new house together. So it was obviously, like, Mm. maybe a bit of stress from moving and, like, being in a different place and yeah. yours is like when your parents are coming to visit, so it's a bit of a different environment to what you're used to um, yeah, as
1: well. Yeah, it's like,
0: I live alone, yeah. and it's the invasion of my space. It's yeah. having strangers, not strangers, it's having people in like the place that is usually completely a safe, enclosed environment for me. Mm, there's probably some kind of link there, some sort of thing to interpret.
1: Anyway, we're mm-hmm. not, not interpreting
0: our dreams. We're interpreting Harry's dreams next one number 16 this is in the sixth book when harry starts to realize he has no wait i want to talk about uh, harry putting up the baubles of dobby's head please do (laughs) (laughs) i just love that it's one of my favorite details of the entire series so good of harry being like decorating the da room with christmas baubles shaped like dobby's head so cute because of course in real life and by real life i mean the fictional world of harry potter Dobby had gone to the DA room and decorated them with baubles that had Harry's face on them. Yeah, wasn't there, like, a banner that said, Harry Christmas, everyone, or something like that? Yes, like, have a Harry Christmas. (laughs) Oh, Oh, Dobby's so good. One of these years we've got to do Christmas decorations like that. (laughs) Oh, yes. Dobby is so pure and innocent. We love him. It's also fantastic as a prank. (laughs) Like, I know Dobby wasn't meaning that to be a prank, but... Oh, yeah. Like, thank God Harry got to the room in time to take down all those decorations. (laughs) Can you imagine if everyone had shown up before him and he'd walked in to have a Harry Christmas and his face on everything? Fred and George would have never lived that down. Fred and George would have stolen all of that and sold it in their joke shop for years to come. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, have a Harry Christmas. Imagine. Imagine if that became, like a thing in Wizarding Britain. Like they all decorate like that now. Oh my god. Ugh. And they have like you know like um those <laughs> this is gonna get controversial. You know those little uh like window scenes of like the baby Jesus in the barn? Nativity scene. <laughs> Nativity scene, yeah they have that <laughs> window sick I sick of the word. <laughs> they have that but with like a set of baby Jesus it's a little baby boy who lived <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. Instead of the bonnets of the ruins of his house and the corpses of his parents. <laughs> yes, yeah, his ruined house. <laughs> and Hagrid. Beautiful. Um, Have a Harry Christmas. Are <laughs> I mean, we giving you Christmas inspiration, listeners? I bet there's some crafty <laughs> listeners out there that are going to make themselves Harry-shaped, Harry-head-shaped baubles now. Oh, absolutely. Oh god. Number 16, book six, Harry's starting to realize that he has feelings for Ginny that are more than platonic, Mm -hmm. and he has a dream about Ron chasing him with a beater's bat. (laughs) So valid. (laughs) (laughs) So valid. Isn't it... Oh, no, hang on. I was about to say Ron then becomes a beater, but he doesn't, so there's no future in this. Uh, Well, he tries out for... No, yeah, never mind. He tries out for Keeper. It might be because um, Ron was acting... Was was Ron at this time acting like... No, never mind. I'm thinking of when he's at school. Never mind. <laughs> Ron Ron does, like, put on an older, prote- protective older brother act around Ginny's potential suitors. Mm. But I think that happens during book six, not, like, right at the beginning when Harry's realising that he has feelings for her. I was talking about, um, was Ron, like, practising Quidditch or anything at this point? But that's actually when they go to school, that he, that he realises there's a spot open in the Quidditch team and he might try and... Mm. Um, it's not when they're at home in the burrow. I don't think okay. this is when they're at the burrow, is it? Because I thought Harry didn't oh, really, really realise his feelings until they were already at Hogwarts together. Mm. Okay. Mm. I might be misremembering. <laughs> I know it's, it's Half-Blood Prince Chapter 14. That feels like they would be at Hogwarts by then. Oh, yeah. They don't have 14 chapters before they get to Hogwarts. Yeah, fair enough. So maybe Harry knew that Ron was going to try out for the Quidditch team and so had this association with Ron and Quidditch and best thing to beat your friend with is a beater's bat, so. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, if Harry's trying to think of, like, a blunt force weapon, probably the most solid thing he can imagine is a beater's bat. <laughs> yeah. Number 17, we have Dreams of Ginny. Not yeah. said. <laughs> That's pretty basic. <laughs> That's pretty basic. Everyone's been there. Number 18, <laughs> <laughs> we have Harry having dreams of Malfoy turning into Slughorn, turning into Snape. I just keep thinking about how is he picturing the transformations? Is it like, <laughs> is it like a, a shift and then suddenly it's a new person? Or is it like a body morph thing where it's like he's watching someone undergo like a Polyger's potion transformation where they're like, ugh, ugh. Like, <laughs> are they, like, taking, are they, like, is it like in Cats 2019, where Ugh. they, like, grab the zipper on the top of their head and unzip themselves, and it's it's a new person? Ugh, I hate you for making me think about Cats 2019. <laughs> Imagine this scenario. It's Malfoy. Then he turns his back to you, and his back is the front of Slugon. And <laughs> <laughs> Slugon turns his back, and his back is the front of Snake. Like, one of those dolls, which had, like, a happy side and a... And a sad side. <laughs> do you remember those? Yeah. Do you remember when and Grandma just made thousands of two headed dolls that you could flip? Remember those? And like you'd flip them upside down and there'd be like a bride and he'd flip it the other way and it'd be like a groom or like. <laughs> I, I do remember that. Why are you filling my head with these terrible visions of Cats 2019 and Grandma's terrible doll dungeon? <laughs> You know I don't like dolls. No, you stole that off me, like everything. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Mom said it's my turn for the phobia. <laughs> Look, let's talk about the symbolism. Uh, Malfoy turning into slughorn turning into Snape. Yeah. So what I've got is that this doesn't start out as a dream of Malfoy. It's... Harry's dreams were broken and disturbed by images of Malfoy turning into Slughorn, turning into Snape. So he's having other dreams, and then Malfoy's (laughs) charging in and ruining his dreams. Amazing. I don't know exactly when that's happening in this book, but like these are his three big concerns this book. It's Malfoy and what he's up to, getting the memory from Slughorn, and the half-blood prince who turns out to be Snape. I just, I keep imagining, like, Harry having dreams of Ginny. So, like, him and Ginny at the beach building a sandcastle, and then Malfoy runs up and kicks it over. <laughs> and then as he's running, like, Harry chases him, and Malfoy turns into Slughorn, and Slughorn's out of breath, and he bends down, Harry's like, Sarah, are you okay? And tries to sit him down somewhere. And then when he does sit him down in the shade, it turns into Snape, and Snape just punches him in the gut. <laughs> like, that's what I'm imagining. That feels right. Rather than, like, my rotating <laughs> face body, <laughs> I think it's probably stuff like that. It's, like... He's trying to have regular dreams, but these three images keep coming to him and ruining everything. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. And now we have our last dream. I've got more dreams. It's from... I've got more mm? dreams. Oh, okay. okay. Now we have my last dream. <laughs> <laughs> Cups, lockets, and mysterious objects just out of reach. Dumbledore lowering a rope ladder to help, but it turns into snakes when Harry tries to climb it. Mm. Oof. All right, man. So this happens immediately after Dumbledore dies. Yes. So it's very obviously Harry's, like, worried about, well, now I have to take over the Horcrux hunt and Dumbledore's not around to help me anymore. Mm -hmm. And he keeps taunting me with this snake ladder. (laughs) (laughs) Snakes and ladders. Mm. I wonder if it's also kind of alluding to what happens in Book 7 where Harry starts to wonder if he can trust everything Dumbledore's taught him and told him. Like, the whole snakes leading, like, being someone with deception and all that sort of stuff. like. The, la- the helping hand that Dumbledore's throwing him turns out to actually be a lie and something that's going to hurt him, which is true. It does kill mm-hmm. him. <laughs> that's very true. I looked up some snake dream symbolism and like, I just thought this was mostly yeah. funny because <laughs> obviously snakes, rep- snapes. snakes represent very specific things in the Harry Potter universe, different to the Muggle universe, but here we go snakes can either be dangerous or healing because they symbolize both negative toxic thoughts, fears, worries, and running away, and positive transformation, regeneration, growth, or rebirth that's all very interesting in the terms of four crosses. So your, your snake dream where you killed a giant snake and then it was me yeah. um, was a rebirth dream because I, I was reborn <laughs> that was a bad dream, that was a dream that I had when I was like 13 and I still remember it clear as day one of the worst <laughs> dreams I've ever had in my life <laughs> it was very bad I killed the snake by crushing the life out of it like like with a big rolling pin like you were a snake <laughs> like I squeezed its skull from the beginning of its body all the way out to the end of its tail and then it was your corpse incredible very bad, it, it was visceral anyway, uh, another interesting thing about snakes is they have a phallic shape representing the shape of the male genital. Who knew? Therefore, snakes in dreams can symbolize sexuality, masculinity, and fertility. Incredible. Last but not least, the snake in your dreams can symbolize a person whose behavior resembles a snake. You know those friends are just swimming around. (laughs) It can be someone who follows you everywhere, constantly keeps thinking about you, or their behavior is very toxic, if not dangerous. That's definitely Dumbledore. (laughs) <laughs> friends listeners are you a snake <laughs> do you follow your friends around and constantly think about them <laughs> that's funny because that's what harry's been doing to malfoy all year mm. and then also it had like a bunch of specific snakes like snakes in different colors and what they mean oh my and my favorite one seeing a large some number of snakes this means you have lots of problems worries or obstacles <laughs> I bet it does. (laughs) More snakes, more problems. You know how it is. (laughs) I have those dreams where you fall into some kind of pit of snakes or pit of spiders or something like that. Mm. And I think, I don't know, maybe I'm built different. But, like, like, whenever I have a dream where I'm about to, like, get into a situation where it's just, like, an awful, awful death, I just wake myself up. I'm like, Mm -hmm. nah, I quit. And I just wake myself up. I usually do this by either killing myself faster (laughs) or just like force of will, I'm awake. (laughs) Like if I'm about to fall into a pit of snakes and I'm hanging off a ledge, I just throw myself into the pit. Like I dive head first. I'm like, ready to go. (laughs) Like (laughs) Death is here. (laughs) i love like like the fucking energy of that the like my dreams can't torture me only i can torture me (laughs) it's it is is like that i'm like i know what you're trying to do you're trying to have this murderer kill me like like you know slowly and painfully and torture me it's usually that's a chase dream Where someone's chasing me and they're gonna get me and it's like they're like they've cornered me, or they're they're like about to get me, and I'm like fuck this, and I like bash my head against a wall, or I like throw myself <laughs> off a high building, or something, or by sheer force of will, I'm I'm awake now. Excellent. <laughs> like you can't get me, I'll get me. Like love that. <laughs> That's so powerful. <laughs> try it, try it, listeners. Next time you're in a dream where you know it's going to end, end badly, just kill yourself. No, my big trick in dreams where I'm dying is that I will die and then I'm dead in the dream, but then my consciousness transfers to the next available host. (laughs) And the dream continues from someone else. I don't want that to happen either, because I'm like, no, stop. I want it to end. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've definitely had dreams where I've died in the dream, but then the dream continues and then I'm a new person. person reincarnation yeah yeah oh god just let it be over so i've got some more dreams i feel like that's obviously just like harry's stress over taking over the horcrux hunt dumbledore's helpfully operating a fake rope of snakes like we don't need to interpret that too much so i've got uh two dreams from deathly hallows that don't count oh actually sorry one of these is, like, he dreams of Grindelwald stealing the Elder oh, yeah. Wand from Gregorovich. I feel like that's, that's vision, very yeah. obviously a vision, even though it's presented as a dream at the time. And then the only other dream that he has in Deathly Hallows is after the Nagini confrontation at Godric's Hollow. Oh, yeah. Harry has dreams of Nagini moving through ring-like shapes. Ring-like shapes. Hmm. Circles, we might say. <laughs> it's like she's in the Harry Potter PC games and she used to fly through the rings. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up rings and circles. Rings mean, like, commitment. Ooh. Duh. Mm. Circles are supposed to represent a lesson or challenge you are going through that is contributing towards your inner growth and spiritual evolution. It shit? can be meant to give you encouragement <laughs> to trust the cycle you're in and that everything will work out if you don't give up. What? <laughs> What was this website called? (laughs) Oh, this is a bunch of different websites. I typed, like, into Google, dream symbolism circle, and then the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I'm trying to think if that ring-like shape thing could be, like, something literal. Like, was he seeing something through Nagini's eyes again? Was he seeing, like, Voldemort looking at Nagini going through, Mm. I don't know, curtain rings or something? Well, I was thinking... Like, the two things that Nagini goes in and out of that were in my mind were Bethilda Bagshot's Mm. skin. Yep. And right at the end of the book, the, like, protective bubble thing that she's in. True. Those were the only things that occurred to me. True. Yeah. Could be foreshadowing the the bubble protection thing, I suppose. Yeah, I think the bubble's the best interpretation, because I wouldn't really describe, like, the empty skin of an old woman as ring-like a mm. ring-like shape it could be voldemort even thinking up oh, i've got to keep like Nagini in some sort of protective circle because the boy mm. is onto my horcrux plan and i've got to yeah i don't think voldemort realizes that at that point though mm. because okay like that's very much a plot point later in the book when he realizes that harry's after his horcruxes and several of them have been destroyed okay is there any other dreams Not that I know of. There are more dreams, but they're all visions, so they don't count as dreams. So what have we learned? (laughs) A great question. First of all, our dreams in real life are weird. (laughs) I've learned things about you. (laughs) (laughs) He does dream about the firebolt a lot. He dreams about his parents a lot. He dreams about the people that he knows, both his friends and his enemies a lot. That'll make sense. Those are, like, Mm -hmm. important themes and images in his real life that are recycling into his brain. Yeah. Quite often he will dream, like, a distorted reenactment of real events, which I also think is very true to what a dream is. Sure, I I never really get those. You just said that you keep dreaming that you have to go back to high school and do math again. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Well, what's that reenacting? High school? school? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a stress dream. Harry has, like, a reenactment of a kiss that he did a day ago. I definitely have dreams like that. Like, Hmm. this isn't a specific example, but, like, say I had a horrible confrontation with someone on a train, I might then dream about having a horrible confrontation (laughs) with a person on a train. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine what that's like. (laughs) Yeah, that's not, like, a specific thing that definitely happened to me yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay, yeah. Yeah, his dreams are pretty normal. There's just extra spicy symbolism in there, which is mm. fair enough, because he's a character in a book. Yeah. Um, Do you think that he can see the future? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, he can duh. see. He can, he can see and feel what Voldemort feels. That's all the whole Horcrux shit. And mm-hmm. I also think... This is, like, my theory, as I said at the beginning of this episode that I have about wizards. I think they all have some sneak previews into mm-hmm. the future through their dreams from time magic. So... Let me present you a scenario. Voldemort's dead. Mm -hmm. Harry, grown up, had a few years to get over his trauma. Do you think that he's going to start having regular dreams again? And do you think that he's going to continue to dream things that are especially significant and maybe future telling with, like, the same regularity that he did before Voldemort came into his life in a big way? I'd say yes. I mean, I don't see why not. It just depends on, like... Maybe the... No, no, I'm going to stick with my guns. Yes. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) I was going to say it might be induced by stress, but that doesn't make sense. Why would time magic be induced by stress? To me, it's just Mm. like a part of the universe that Harry Potter takes place in. Yeah, I love that. That's a good theory. I do think a lot of his dreams are definitely induced by stress. Like the dream he has on his first night in Hogwarts, that's stress-induced. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other poignant ones that he has. The Kiss Dream. The Patronus Dream. That's stress-induced, absolutely. All the Quidditch Match Dreams. They're all stress about winning Quidditch. Mm. The Triwizard Tournament. Maybe stress induces a vision of the future. Because we have established that we believe magic is tied into emotion. So maybe when you're stressed and worried about the future, your magic steps in and tries to help you out by giving you glimpses of the future so that you are better prepared. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense because Harry is constantly stressed about the future when we're reading about (laughs) him because he's always got some horrible thing going on in his life that's like a daunting end date. Like, oh, I've got to fucking fight a dragon next week or I'm running a secret (laughs) military in the school. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then, of course, when he finds out that you know, every year when he finds out Voldemort's coming to kill him, or this person's coming to kill him, or this person's dying, like, it's, it's a lot. So, he's always yeah. stressed. He's got a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Rhea, and another common recurring dream that I have is that I lose my cat apple bobbing in a group of identical cats and I can't find her again, and then I just <laughs> have to adopt all these other cats, and none of them are my cats. They're just <laughs> other cats that I don't love. <laughs> I've been Gem and a couple of weeks ago I had a dream and it was one of those waking dreams and I saw the remnant of my dream in real life in the corner of my room and it was this old woman and she approached my bed and started screaming at me and trying to shake me and so I rolled over and my arm which I'd been sleeping on all night was dead and numb and it hit me in the face and made me think that she was attacking me and I was like ah! and I woke <laughs> myself up trying to fight the old woman who was nothing and faded into mist instantly and then I went back to sleep. <laughs> that's great (laughs) sweet dreams listeners (laughs) Good night. thanks for listening if you want to support us or get in touch the links to our social media and patreon are in the show notes please feel free to send us so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them you'll hear from us again in two weeks time